Shalom, podcast listeners. We are in Holy Week, the sacred time in the liturgical calendar when we remember Jesus' final days in Jerusalem, his passion, his death, and victoriously his resurrection. We are also in a strange time of quarantine and social distancing as the world contends with the coronavirus and COVID-19. As we cannot be together physically, we invite you to join us in Jerusalem through the gift of the Internet. Christchurch Jerusalem will be broadcasting daily through Holy Week on Facebook Live. Join us for morning prayer, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, the Saturday Vigil, and gloriously on Resurrection Sunday. We will broadcast three times a day. The full schedule is included in the description of this sermon and can be found on our Facebook page and at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. We hope to see you online as we remember and proclaim the death and resurrection of the Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. And now, the Palm Sunday Sermon. This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our first reading this morning is taken from Psalm 118, beginning at the first verse. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Whether you're at home or here, let's stand as we hear the gospel read uh, about the Lord's entry into Jerusalem. The gospel of the Lord according to the apostle Matthew, beginning at the first verse of the 21st chapter. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They bought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. 
and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, every day we look forward to hearing your voice. We expect, Lord, that you would speak to us, your people. And we pray, Lord, wherever we are in the world, that you would be with us, you would listen to our hearts, you would open our ears to hear your words. And may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts, wherever they are, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again to Christ Church in Jerusalem. Welcome to Passover and the Easter season. Just a few words about that word Easter. Uh, Easter is not a pagan holiday named after a Babylonian fertility goddess. Just want to clear that up right now. It is not named after a god called Ishtar. Oddly enough, the uh, two languages that actually use and describe this season called Easter are in English and German. Most languages actually uh, call the season named after its Aramaic name, Pascha. So even in Greek, even in Latin, this season is, uh, is named Pascha. And it reminds us that Easter, which in Old English and Old German just means spring, because that's what this season is, it is Chag Aviv, which is what it's named in, in, the, in, the, in Exodus, the festival of the spring, that uh, as most languages call this season Pascha, it reminds us that Easter is connected to Passover. What we are doing is something that we inherit from the Jewish people and from our brothers and sisters, the first believers in Yeshua, in Jesus, who were, who were, who were Jewish. Just wanted to clear that up. Palm Sunday. This day begins the most important week in human history. Now, while all the four Gospels record the triumphal entry of Jesus into, into the holy city of Jerusalem, it's actually the Gospel of John which gives you the timing. It, it'll say in John chapter 12 that it was six days before Passover. So we know that this is connected to this season. And uh, six days before Passover, you know what happened on Passover? The Messiah is crucified. He then rests his Sabbath and he rises on the Sunday. So that makes it eight days. And so we inherit that tradition of having an eight-day festival, which we might acknowledge is also a very Jewish thing to do. Passover is eight days. Sukkot, Tabernacles is eight days. Hanukkah is eight days. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very Jewish to have an eight-day festival. So our, our week, our holy week, goes from Sunday to Sunday. And it is the most important week in human history. We still measure time by this guy. As much as the world might like to try and not acknowledge Jesus and will call time the common era, we all know who it's based on. 
We all know that time is measured by Jesus and our redemption is also measured by this day too, yes? We, are, we, we understand that at the end of this week, as we journey through the exubilation and jubilation and uh, exaltation of a triumphal entry of a king, we know that as we journey this week, we're going to hear some of his teaching. It's going to be sharp. Some of it's going to be beautiful. We will hear the new commandment to, to love as he has, has loved. We're also going to mourn We're going to be sad at Good Friday when the light of the world, the the firstborn uh, of all creation, Jesus, God himself, will, will die and we will rest in the Sabbath waiting, knowing that our hope is not in vain, that there is a resurrection. We will delight in that as we gather again uh, in the great vigil and witness an empty tomb. Now the scenario that we have this morning is amazing. It's the entrance of a king. There is jubilation. There is palm branch waving. There is uh, excitement. People are, are not just excited about a king, they're also anticipating that there's going to be a clash of kings as Jesus, the Davidic king, makes his entry into a city where Herod the pretender is, is ruling and reigning. And another ruler has shown up, Pilate, the occupier. So all these very powerful figures have suddenly come to this city as well, bringing with it anticipation. Uh, there's going to be a showdown. So this, 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 uh, this day has religious overtones, yes, and it's linked also with some political ones. And before I, uh, we have a look at the text, just want to point out some of the geography. Geography is very important in the Bible, where things happen, where things occur. There's a lot of meaning that's placed uh, in mountains and valleys and rivers. So in the context of the geography, where is this taking place? Well, obviously it's taking place in Jerusalem. But it starts uh, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, one of those famous mountains in the Bible, everyone knows, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, and the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was a site of corruption and idol worship in the book of 1 Kings. We built idols, uh, we built uh, pagan altars to false gods, and we built uh, tree uh, uh, groves to Asherah and and worshipped worshipped, uh, in a very corrupt way. But it was also the site of the glory of the Lord. Later on, there will be, we will rename that the Shekinah. But according to Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord departed the temple and rested on Mount Zion and pondered the city and pondered the temple. It's in Ezekiel 11. It was also the site of an apocalyptic ending of the world. When you get into Zechariah chapter 4, the, the glory of the Lord returns. And the feet of the Lord once again stand on Mount Zion. And that powerful event splits that mountain. uh, The Mount of Olives, sorry. So the Lord's presence itself, with its power and its might, will move that mountain. And the prophet Joel spoke of the valley that's just down the bottom, which we today call the Kidron. He names it the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where there would be resurrection and judgment of all the nations. So this one little geographical place is 
packed with meaning. It's packed with corruption, but that corruption is cleansed with the glory of the Lord. It's packed with apocalyptic excitement. It's packed with judgment, and it's packed with resurrection. And John the Baptist had been busy previously um, before the uh, advent of the Messiah, getting the nation uh, expectant. It was messianic enthusiasm. So people were well prepared for this special Passover. And then in a very public and in a very intentional way, very simply, Jesus takes a donkey and the foal of a donkey and comes down this incredible mountain. And that is a very messianic thing to do. And people knew it. Because people knew the prophecy, which is mentioned here in our gospel, that behold, daughter of Zion, your king will come, riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And we're not, we're not sure if this was all prearranged or how this was all set up, but Jesus knew there would be a donkey and a foal. And in all the Gospels, he mentions to his disciples, please go and find it. Perhaps the owner had deliberately led, left the, uh, and stationed the donkey and the foal in expectation. Maybe there was always one there, just in case. Even in, in, in the liturgies that we have in the Jewish world today at Passover, you will open the door to see if Elijah is, is coming. And you'll have a place set for him because you're expectant. Because you want to be ready. Now it's, it's, it's impossible to know if this was actually prearranged, but it is something Jesus does. And as he comes down that mountain, the crowds, filled with excitement, uh, begin to take their palm branches in a very enthusiastic way, uh, begin to sing. And what are they singing? They're singing songs that are already on their lips which is the, uh, some of the halal psalms, the, uh, the, the psalms of, uh, of 113 to 118 psalms you would sing as part of the three pilgrimage festivals. And the one that's mentioned here is the beginning to sing Psalm 118. Hosanna, or in Hebrew, Hoshiana. And it's a, it's a plea, it's a call. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm, but it's a plea and a call to save, rescue, God, save us now. Which, of course, begs the question, save you from what? And that question, and there's other questions that are mentioned in this text. What are you saved from? And who is this that is coming? Those are questions that are still being asked by this world today. Save now. And who is this? Well, this is... Jesus of of Nazareth, a prophet. If we're very honest, the world doesn't know what it wants to be saved from. It knows it it needs something, especially in these days. It knows it needs salvation. It knows it needs rescuing. Everyone knows they need help right now. In verses 10 and 11 of our gospel, Jesus enters Jerusalem. We discover that not everybody has come out. There's people who are still in their homes. We don't know exactly how many, but uh, uh, they ask, what's all, what's all going on? Um, who's, who, what are you, who are you shouting? Who is this Jesus? 
And the answer is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. Where have we heard that before? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This was a comment that oozes a little bit of derision, a little bit of uh, uh, downplaying, a bit of negativity, and it was on the lips of uh, some of the first disciples. When we find that Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, obviously, yes. But we've moved on a little bit since Nathaniel's question in, uh, in, in the Gospel of John at the start of his ministry. Now in all the excitement, now in all the rush, people still misunderstand Jesus. He is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. Yes, he is a prophet, but he's also a little bit more. Remember the prophet Zechariah says that there is a coming king to the city. Now Matthew is making a point here He's, one of, he's the gospel that records that the people ask, who is this? And uh, the, he, the people respond, this is Jesus the prophet. He's making a deliberate point because people still have misconceptions, misunderstandings about our Messiah. Now later in the, uh, this chapter, chapter 21, and the, this morning's reading, Jesus is also going to quote Psalm 118. Next day when he's in the temple and he is uh, being uh, challenged in the, and having a discussion with the religious leadership of the temple, he's going to refer to this psalm. He's going to say, The stone that the builders rejected has become the Rosh Pinai, has become the chief cornerstone. Now there's a debate in, uh, in our translations. Some people will translate that word cornerstone. It is the word Pinai. Uh, but the word Rosh Pina, when joined together, could refer to another type of stone. This is the capstone, and some translations translate it that way. It's part of the, uh, of the arch that is supporting uh, the main building. It has one stone right in the middle. And back when they were building these buildings without mortar, the pressure that stones would apply on each other is what holds it all together. And it holds it up really well because some of those buildings are still standing to this day. Now, whether it means uh, cornerstone or capstone, it doesn't actually really matter. It holds the whole building together. And in Jewish tradition, they have a midrash based on this, on this verse. What is a midrash, I hear you ask? That's a good question. It's a, uh, it's a Jewish device of um, exegesis where you tell uh, a story to explain some, some verse or some theological point. The story might, might contain a legend. Most, most definitely will contain things that are not true, but it will describe and discuss a theological truth. Today, we call those sermons. Now, the Midrash takes a look at this, uh, this, this concept of the rejected stone. Now, when they were building both temples, first temple and second temple, they had lots of rejected stones. You see, when you built a temple, you couldn't build the stonework there on site. You wanted to make the building as noiseless as possible. So you actually prepared the stones off site. 
and brought them to the temple. Now we've actually found some of those stones lying around in, in archaeology. And at the, at the time of Jerusalem, they had a lot of these stones lying around. Now not all the stones would, would fit. Sometimes the measurements weren't made exactly properly. When the stones got to the site, the workers would try and fit them in and go, this stone just doesn't quite do what I'm supposed to do. So there's a midrash that uh, they're preparing stones for the temple and they're putting them all together and uh, they take the stones and they prepare the, the stone for uh, the, the, the arches and they bring them to the builders in the temple and the builders are putting them together and they, the builders notice one stone and it doesn't quite fit where they thought it should fit. It doesn't, it doesn't go here, it doesn't go there. They think, oh, the guys have made a mistake back in the building site and they just throw it away. And later, as the building is getting taller and taller and they're now looking for that one piece, they contact the, the stonemaker and they say, didn't you get the order I put in for the Rosh Pinar, for that final stone, the stone that's going to hold everything together? And the, and the, uh, the, the stone cutter says, I've already sent it to you. You should already have it. Where is it? And they start looking. And they're looking around and they finally found that the stone that they had thrown away the stone that they thought was, was, was not good, it didn't work, it was out of shape, it didn't fit, it wasn't the right color. That was the one that fit perfectly to finish off their temple. The stone that the builders rejected, as is put into a psalm, has become the Rosh Pinar, has become the chief stone, the capstone that holds everything together. Now, at the time of Jesus, as he enters Jerusalem, they had a lot of these stones just lying around. The stones that didn't fit. They were still constructing the temple when Jesus was there. They didn't finish it until uh, something like the year 66. And so they had these rejected stones around. So it was a very useful device for Jesus to say when he was wanting to describe who he is. They're calling me the prophet, but I'll tell you who I am. And I can tell you who I am through our own prayer book. It's been on our lips for a thousand years. I am the stone that the builders have rejected. And I will hold everything together. Paul, in the epistles, when he sums up all of our traditions, all of our uh, faith, all of our, uh, 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 what we believe in, he uses three words. When you break it all down, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But hope's there. And again, in the epistles, it reminds us that be prepared, brothers and sisters, at all times to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now the world has rejected hope. It doesn't want a God. It doesn't want a creator. And it certainly doesn't want hope. If there is no God, then when you close your eyes, as too many of us are doing now, for the very last time, there's nothing. Everything is meaningless. Nothing is given any meaning. And there is no way that this world can put a meaning to the pandemic that's going on right now. But we can. Hope doesn't go away. Even if the world rejects it, hope doesn't reject the world for God so loved the world that he would send his only son 
Yes, to die, but also to rise. And we should seek his kingdom and his righteousness first above all else. So today we celebrate the triumphal entry of a king. This is the greatest week in all of human history. We're going to start counting time by him. And we are looking forward to his resurrection again in eight days' time. And so during this week we can contemplate the teachings of the Messiah, contemplate the new commandment, contemplate Passover and all the themes of redemption that that festival brings to us, contemplate death, and contemplate resurrection. And every one of us still has to answer those, those two questions. Who is this Jesus that comes? Is he just a prophet? A nice teacher, a wise man, or even did he really exist? Yes, he is everything. He holds the entire world together. He is the rock that uh, all of our hope and salvation and redemption and life and compassion is all based on. He is the good news. He is the hope to a hopeless world. He is the meaning in meaninglessness. He is the trust in mistrust. He is all of these things and more. He is a prophet. He is a king. He is a redeemer. He is a savior. He is the Messiah. And he is Emmanuel. Elohim Itanu. He is God with us. Is there anyone else that you would dare say, Hoshiana, save us, rescue us? No. The lowly king the humble king, the triumphant king, the king that sits in your home right now, the king that is silent at at every meal but enjoys the meal with you, the king that guards you as you sleep at night and dream dreams, the king that sits in your conversations as you have with your families, with your friends, with your loved ones. The hope that the world rejects does not reject the world. So brothers and sisters, we hold something that is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly true. And as we we celebrate this redeeming king, we have to answer that question of ourselves, who is this Jesus? Now you know who he is. And if you don't, then you get in touch with us because we would love to share it. In fact, you can talk to him right now and he'll talk to you. But brothers and sisters, the world has told us to shelter in our homes. But don't keep the hope and light just trapped inside your home. You still have the opportunity to share it. So wherever you are, call your friends. Call your neighbors. Write them an email. Call your boss. See how he's doing. See how they're doing. Ask them if you can pray for them. Ask them if you can, can, can just contemplate their, their families for a while and see where that leads. This world needs to, the answer. Who is this Jesus? And Brothers and sisters, we have that hope and we can share it. It is our duty, it is our joy, and it is our delight that once again, any day can be the triumphal entry of the king. Any day Jesus can enter into your, to your heart, and any day we can yell out, Hoshiana, save us now. It's a good story. It's good news from Jerusalem. Shalom. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud, 
or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.